Posted on the Moon Studios presents uh, another Get On Golly. What's good, congregation? It's your girl, Auntie Mimi, the big shit talker. We back for a whole nother episode. Today we are discussing a black mother's love. But before we get into today's episode, we're going to get into our Music Mondays. Y'all know we got to discuss the Jesus is King album by Kanye West that just dropped. What was that, Friday? Friday. Friday it just dropped. We got talking to the mic if you're going to be talking. Friday it dropped. Miss Kim, get on the mic. Uh, Keyshawn Music, what you think? You know I gotta play a little sample, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you gonna play a sample first? I gotta play a little sample. Okay, go ahead. Uh-huh. We don't own the rights to this uh-huh. music. Uh-huh. Yeah! Man, let me tell y'all something. Like, you know, I'm not... I'm, I, I was, you know, when I, when I was growing up and I was raised, you know what I'm saying? I was raised into, you know, Christianity and Christian and all this good you stuff. You just raised in Christianity? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, Christian, be a Christian. But you know what I'm saying? After I did, after I got to a certain age, you know what I'm saying? I did a lot of research. And my research brought me to to where, you know, I understand that Christianity is not even a religion. You know what I'm saying? Christianity is a is a thought process. It's a way to live. It's Christ-like. But, you know what I'm saying? Man always got to touch things and corrupt things, turn it into a religion, y'all. So we ain't going to get too deep for y'all because that's another show, another level. But, you know, I'm going to go back to Auntie Mimi now. So what did you think about the album overall? I, I, I think the album was good. You know what I'm saying? I think um, definitely what Kanye West did as an artist is major, is dope. You know what I'm saying? And, and with, with, with Kanye, man, he was in a dark place. He was going through some mental health issues. And I feel like he's trying to, you know, show people what help brought him out of it so he could kind of, you know, help them if they're having the same issues or going through the same thing or in a dark place. He's trying to give them some guidance to where they can go to something that's going to bring them out. Well, my initial thoughts on the album was an album that I thoroughly enjoy, like right off the bat, like straight through. I feel like if you listen to the album and you're looking to receive a message, you will get the message. So I, it actually brought me to tears. Like I didn't go to, I don't, I haven't been going to Kanye West album for bars in a minute. I just listened for a listening experience, listen, listening per, uh, pleasure. I felt like it was sonically pleasing. I felt like it was musically correct. The production was good. My favorite song on the album is Use the Gospel. Like, I swear to God, like I had chills once. What up, winning team? I got chill. I had chills. I'm continuing. <laughs> um, the straight way through, like I got chills, like listening to use the gospel with not only Pusha T, but he had the clips, he had Malice on it, he had Kenny G. Like I love the album. I I feel like I got my spiritual fixing without actually listening to quote unquote church gospel music. You know, it was it, I was inspired. So I think it's dope. It's dope. Okay, you ain't heard the album, huh?
Right. He has some valid points. He said we don't own the culture, and that makes a lot of sense. He said we don't own the culture. We sold the culture. We buy into the culture. Like. No, what do you have a favorite song? Do you have a favorite song on it? What's good? Do you have a favorite song on the album? Um, I think uh, every hour I love that. I love every yeah, the intro is dope. The intro takes you back to Baptist Church. A long time, and I'd rather him, I'd rather him do music about this versus killing himself and you know going through de a depression. Like when you find, when you find, when you discover your spirituality or, or Christianity, it's not for nobody to to question whether it's authentic or not. We just got to worry about saving our own soul. You know, if he's not being authentic in this message, that's what he has to answer to, not us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Babe, I mean, she, I mean, like, do you have it, a favorite track on the album? Uh, I mean, like I, I like all of it, but like, you know, I, I work in mental health. So this is the thing, man. Like, anytime somebody's in a, a dark place or, you know what I'm saying, they going through some shit, whatever they figure or whatever they find to bring them out of it, right. I, I'm 100 with it. So, right. you know, if it took him to find Jesus to give him a positive light or a positive outlook to what he feel like, you know what, I can create something that's going to help somebody else and, and possibly help them, I'm all for it. I don't care if it, you know, even if he did it as a gimmick, that's not my place to judge. To that's judge not my place that, to even right. think about it. But if, if that album touches one of his fans or, or touches a thousand millions of his fans to where now, you know, they they actually researching Jesus or they actually trying to get information about Christ. Oh, or even be it. more positive in their music, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I think that that's dope. Outlook. Because to be honest with you, I, I like what he said about the culture and how we, you know, as people, we feed into the culture when we don't have to and we create the culture. And that's kind of what I feel like he did with his music, you know what I'm saying? It's not like it, it, it could be a Christian album, but it's, it's all positivity. You know what I'm saying? It would have been a Christian album if, if Pusha T wouldn't have got on there and still talk about selling dope. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. About selling dope? I think your internet connection. So he could be using Kanye right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely, to reach the masses. Yeah, because some people try to say, oh, they're using Kanye to, to whitewash people again with the white Jesus. If you do some research and you look up some information, you will find out Jesus and, and where it came from and, and what it's about. So you won't have to even think about the white Jesus. Yeah. I'm, so I guess we're all in... We're all we're all in agreement that we're here for the Kanye album. I gotta watch this um, 
was a little short movie, the short film that he came out in con with in conjunction with the album. It's it broke box office history. It did like a million. What? Yeah, I didn't even know it's like thirty minutes. It's like a thirty minute thirty minute long movie. All right, so that's Kanye West. So now we're gonna move on to Messy Mondays. What I have here for Messy Mondays is just a quick little. Quick little messy Monday. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of Supercent, the internet vine sensation that um, became famous on Instagram, and then she went on to create um, an empire with Crayon Case, her her makeup line. Um, she was engaged and in a very very public relationship as far as like posting on Instagram, and I think we kind of touched on this last week about posting pictures with our significant others. And, you know, just kind of displaying our love and our relationship on Instagram. But she was one of those people that was very open about her relationship. She went on and had a baby by this man. They seemed very, very madly in love. But then again, you never know what people are going through behind closed doors. When the cameras are cut, what the fuck the really, what's, what's the real story? So she posted three days ago, um, just, well, not posted, but she kind of reposted a, a post from 2012. And it reads, just because you've been with somebody for numerous years doesn't mean y'all belong together. It just means you put up with a lot of bullshit because of love and comfortability. Super. And then she captioned it, as of today, I'm single. Now you can laugh. I made this post because I don't need the internet trying to tell me what a single man is doing. I don't need to know his actions. We are no longer together. And just, go ahead. Yeah, and well, she be, became famous off of Instagram, off of Vine, just doing like, uh, like super, like ask me for, um, give me some advice on different things. So she would give her perspective and give her advice in a comedic way. And then after that, after growing her following on Instagram, she went on to start. Uh, a cosmetic line, the crayon case, and she made a million dollars on Black Friday last year. So my whole thing with that is I know women that I, I used to be around that would be like, oh my God, Super and Lou, like they so cute, like their goals. And I think this is just a testament of like no, no relationship should ever be your goals. Like just because you see a cute picture, you know, you see what he does for her. He may bring her flowers and she may video it. Whatever the case is, like, don't ever make somebody relationship goals because you never fucking know what somebody is going through, you know? Don't put somebody's relationship on a pedal suit. Make your, what you want in a relationship goals. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like, go ahead. That's cool. That's and that's cool. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying don't ever look at somebody else's situation and say, "Oh my god, like they're so in love." And that may be the case, but you never know what somebody is going through, what he's going through, what she's going through, what they're going through as a collective. You never know. Like just Know what you want in a, a, a partner and seek that. And focus on that. See, like me, 
I'm old fashioned, you know what I'm saying? So like, like I ain't looking at nobody's shit. Ain't nobody my goals, you know what I'm saying? Like, we have to create our own goals so we know our place. Because if you start looking at other people's goals, you're going to start judging your shit off they shit. Oh, why, right. why I'm not here? Why I'm not there? Because you're not putting in the work. And get your Instagram ass off looking is and get the work. for that, like, looking ass, you know. I mean, we just, we, we only see the great. We only see the good. People not posting their failures. They're not posting no arguments. They're not posting that that nigga cheated. They're not posting that she cheated. They're not posting that I may not be as happy as I presume to look on Instagram, but I'm going to keep on posting because that's what people expect of me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we never know. Do the opposite of what winning team tell you to do, because he don't know. <laughs> He's trying to figure it out. <laughs> that's real. But that's that's really all I have for Messy Mondays. You know, just just that. That kind of, you know, it's like it's unfortunate. I don't like this. Oh my God! Like, why are we going back to cast? Who was talking about? Who said that? Who said something about cast off? Why are we talking about Cash Doll? Cash Doll is not on the docket tonight. No, she's not. Not on my show. <laughs> Shout out to Doll, okay? Somebody reach out to you when the team. Did you get are, a threat? Are you? <laughs> you better talk positive. Talk good about talk cash. Talk about cash, dog, nigga. You better say nothing but good shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Cash Doll and the D, okay? But yeah. Call before you come. <laughs> she ain't on here yet. Call before you come. Where you at, sis? She was. All right, winning team. We're going to um, wrap up. We're going to wrap up uh, this segment of the show, the winning team, with Messy Mondays and Music Mondays. Thank you for coming on. All right, talk to you next Nick, I'll talk to you before then. Bye. All right, you guys. Uh, K-West, what's going on? You going to have a seat? We're going to get into this week's episode. It's called A Black Mother's Love. And we are discussing A Black Mother's Love. We have a honorary guest. Are you going to grab a seat, K-West? What's going on? <laughs> I'm so confused. We are going to discuss a black mother's love. So we have my mommy on the show. I say, what's up to the people, K-West? Let them know who you be, where you from, why you here. Hello, everybody. My name is K-West. I am my Keisha's mother. I knew you. What you doing out there? K. I knew you was going to come on with that, with that voice. So what's up, mom? What's wrong with my voice? <laughs> He's going to come up with that commercial voice, okay? We need, we need the real. I'm, I'm keeping it real. 
We need the real I'm, K-West. I'm keeping it real. All right. Well, there we go. Real as a pill. Well, first of all, y'all, it is an honor to have my mommy on the show, um, on my podcast. This woman, she's an inspiration to me, whether she knows it or not. And just simply because of your strength and your perseverance that I've witnessed throughout this life. You can come. You want to come and sit next to me? We're not on camera Thank anymore. Thank you, Mimi. You know, we can get, more comfortable get real comfortable. You know, we're going we gonna to be here for a minute. I don't like cameras either though, like that, okay? Fuck them cameras all the time. Oh, damn, why you say? I got you, I got you. I got she you. really is like, why like, what's that? up with, like, you are here to do a job, K-West. K-West trying to hit the blunt. Yep, this, this, this podcast is sponsored by blunt smokers all across America who smoke a blunt every damn day. Except Yeti. me. Yeti! I'm a dare kid, okay? Check out my Instagram. I'm a dare kid. Cause you know I'm gonna call Clara in a minute. Yeah, Clara's a fool. We ain't gonna talk about. All right, okay. Well, so we're talking about a mother's love, a black mother's love. To be, you know, to be honest, because you are a black woman in today's society. You are a black woman raising three black daughters. So you know, tell the people it's empty. Tell the people about yourself. Where are you from? Who are you? What do you do? What is you know? What you? Who are you, mom? Oh, no. I'm, I'm Kay West. That's who I am. Where are you from? Ma? I'm from San Bernardino, California. Where that's at? And raised. Where's that? Southern California? That is definitely Southern California. Open right. up, Kay. You got to open up now. You got to give the listeners man, some I'm trying key, to, I'm trying to tell you. Let me tell y'all. I'm, I'm going to tell y'all about Kay, man. Kay, Kay cooks. She make uh, gumbo plates. You know what I'm saying? So if you're in the Las Vegas area and you like some good gumbo and you ain't getting none, you can hit up Kay. You know what I'm saying? And Kay Definitely can, this fall. See, look. See, that we go now, now. Kay actually sings too, y'all. So if y'all ever need, you know what I'm saying, a background singer with a strong voice. because no, Kay lead Kerry. singer. Oh, she oh my she bad, lead singer. My lead, bad. Okay. Singer. Kay, Kay says she's a lead singer, guys. So if you ever need a lead singer, a vocalist, or you write songs, you want to write the blues, you want to give you know your songs to a lady who's doing her thing and can get those songs out there because she has that voice, you holler at Kay West, guys. That's right. Now, K-West, you got to go on, you know what I'm saying, sell yourself a little bit more. Now, you're on prime time. You're on Auntie Mimi's uh, thing. So. Well, the big shit talker. How you going to be the mama of the big shit talker and you ain't talking no shit? I came from you. You talk a lot of shit. Well. So, you better talk this shit right here on this podcast, K-West. We ain't going to disappoint, okay? I'm sure my congregation is looking forward to, like, who made this big shit talker? So, you better come with it tonight, Okay. We're going to get into the first question, because it's all about a mother's, black mother's love, okay? Um, when you got pregnant at 17, because I'm the youngest of technically three girls, but two came, three, tech, well, hold on, take that back. I have a drink of wine. I am the youngest of four girls, but my oldest, nope. my yeah, oldest. was a boy. You're Ma, I have a sister, Melanie. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you're talking about Melanie. I'm sorry. Yes, so I'm the youngest of four girls. My mommy had three of us. My dad had a daughter before he, he and my mom met and decided to make me. <laughs> so with that being said, when you got pregnant with your first child, what were your feelings about being a young mother with the upbringing that you've had? 
Well, when I got pregnant with my first child, I wanted a child. I planned that child. So you planned to get pregnant at yes, I did. Uh, 17? Unfortunately, I did. Why is that? Like, tell the people why that was. Like, what, what was going through your mind so that way it's not a misconstrued of, like, why you wanted to, get, to have a baby because, at such a young age? Because I was, I got pregnant before that. That's why I thought you were counting the brother that I miscarried before any of you guys. Mm -hmm. So when I got pregnant and miscarried, I had a, there was an empty void there and I felt like I just needed to have another baby, hmm. even at 16, 17 years old. So why was that, was that like a thing that was going on? Like a lot of your friends were getting pregnant, it was like a thing to do, or like what was it in the climate in that time? Well, this is what, 83, 84? This one. Before that? Well, well yeah, Tony was born, okay, yeah, Tony was born in 80, so this was in the late 70s, early 80s. So what was, what was the, the temperature like? Like why, why did you want to get pregnant? Well, at the time, a lot of young girls were getting pregnant, but I didn't want to get pregnant because somebody else got pregnant. I wanted to get pregnant because I wanted to get pregnant, but I felt that way after I lost my first child. So once again, once again, once again, once again, and I felt like there was just an emptiness there, and I needed to fill that void. And being young and thinking that I was uh, grown. grown, pretty much. But I was always pretty much smart. So it wasn't something that I was doing because somebody else was doing it. It was something that I did because I wanted to do that. Like I said, I, I felt like there was a void uh, and it was a, just an emptiness after I lost my first child. Gotcha. And that's natural, but that's like, you know, I heard that I know before. that's natural. I just want to, you know, her to share that, you know, with us. So what are some, what is some childhood trauma that you weren't really aware of, you weren't keyed in on until you actually, like, became a mom? Like, what are some, th some things that may have triggered, like, oh, shit, like, I didn't know I felt that way. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know I was going through that. Like, what are some things that was, like, some childhood trauma that kind of like came up once you became a mom? It wasn't really childhood trauma, um, even though I do remember a lot of things when I was like six years old and a lot of kids and people don't remember back that far, but I can remember being six and my mom and my dad uh, being together and there's seven of us and waking up in the house and I'm the only one there so that's what I wanted you to kind of just tell us, like tell the people where this all started. You are one of seven, you know, tell them about Adi. Like you were, you know, you're kind of like the middle child a little bit towards the, the bottom. <laughs> right, and also a twin. And also a, a twin of seven brothers and sisters. Like what, what about, do you think that has something to do with it that you, you know, you wanted your own family? Well, it wasn't the fact that I wanted my own family. It was the fact that I wanted to fill that void when I lost my child. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the only thing, only way to fill that void was to get pregnant again. And that's when I got pregnant with Tone. Okay. So 
the childhood trauma, you, you feel like you didn't, you didn't realize that until you became a mom? Like, okay, being, waking up in a house of eight, nine of us, you know, including Papa and Adi, and then nobody being there, is that some childhood trauma that you kind of, that kind of awoke at when you became a mom and maybe you realized, like, I'm, I don't want my kids to go through that. I don't want them to feel what I felt as a kid. Like, is that something that? Well, I'm not going to say it was trauma, but it was, I was traumatized well, when trauma. I woke up. Well, yeah, but at the same time, um, I, I didn't really, it, I wasn't really traumatized at the time because it had happened like two or three times, but I knew that my mother and my father were coming back. Somebody was coming back to you get me. You said you are like six when this happened? Yeah, I probably was like six years old. And you were left alone? Yeah, but I think that it was so many of us that mama probably forgot about me. Mm. And I was if I was sleeping, then I was just left. But I don't fault her for that. As I got older, I didn't fault her for that because I had to look at her life um, with seven kids being at 25 years old. But she was married to my father. I can kind of see how that, how that trauma, we're going to call it trauma, we're going to call it what it is, kind of played a role in you being a mother. Because I don't ever remember, like, being left alone or feeling like, I, I know that us having somebody, especially me, because I was the youngest, having, knowing, okay, who's going to watch you or where are you going to be or you coming with me, you're not staying here by yourself, even though I may have felt like I could. I know that that was something that was at the forefront. Like, I'm not leaving my kids. If they got to come with me and whatever I'm doing, then they're going to come with me regardless. So okay. I know that that's something that probably, you know, played a huge fact, huge role in you as a mother. It probably did because that's why I made sure that you guys were with me every time I went somewhere. I didn't drop you off at babysitters if you were oh, not at my mama's house, yeah, where I did take you and drop you off at, where I knew you were safe, then you were always with me. I remember being with Adi, I remember being with Papa, Auntie, um, Miss Shirley, um, Auntie Spider sometimes, maybe as I got a little older, but I don't ever really recall like just being left. You know, you never really, you never left us. I mean, that's not going to say really, you never left us. So I think that's something that was a priority to you. What was one of like your biggest fears when you were becoming a mother? So you have one child and then you, you know, have another one and then, okay, I have a, a third child. Like what are, what are some fears that you, that you learned when you were a young mother? Because you were a mother of three by the age of 25. Like, what are some fears that arose? Well, I don't really think that I had any fears, Mimi. I think that my mind was developed because I had to develop my mind because I had three children. And I didn't fear, I didn't have any fear of being a mother. I really didn't. I, I don't feel that. So you that. know you had this. I got this. I know they got to eat. That. They got to go to school. They got to be clothed. You know, dinner. Roof got to be on their head. You know. But back, but back then, Miss Kim, you also had support, right, with your father and your, exactly. your people, right? I had support, but I was very determined and, and driven. And I, I, I always thought of myself as a strong-willed woman. So I don't remember any fears when I had you guys. Hmm. 
I, I, I really don't call, recall any fears. I, I, it made me more driven to, to do the things that a mother needed to do for her children, and that's what, that's what I felt. I can see that. I don't ever really remember you, like, being, a, like, to me, like, you weren't afraid of shit. Like, you weren't afraid of nothing. Like, it was, I'm going to go get it, I'm going to do it. Yeah, it may be tough because I have three kids, but, you know, you, you didn't, originally you didn't finish school, right? And then you went back and then you got your GED. Like, I seen my mom just being extremely, like, determined, getting her GED, going back to college, doing her college courses, so working. Um, you know, and with that being said, you know, and you, you spoke about the generational curse early, and that's being um, that the generational curse that I feel that my family had was the fact that we were not educated. And that was something that I wanted to change and, and show you guys that I was determined to be educated and go back to school and show you that this is what we needed. Even though my father wanted all of us to graduate, he always spoke highly about education. And when none of us finished school and so got a So none of y'all finished school except you went back and got your GED? Exactly. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So I know that probably hurt my father, but I wanted to show him that I was going to make a difference in the family. What do you think that was, mom? Like, do you think that it just wasn't a priority? Like, was, like, the dropout rate, like, kids just wasn't going to school then? Like, what was going on to where six out of seven didn't get a high school diploma? Like, that's major. That's huge. Right. Um, it was definitely, it was a, uh, like you're being a product of your environment, but once what again. What was the environment? Paint the picture for, because our congregation don't know. San Bernardino, they think California is palm trees and low riders. Like, paint the picture of when you were growing up, like what that was. What, what oh, does a product of your environment mean? Well, I want to say when I was growing up, other than me being left sometimes, um, my childhood was not that bad because my mother and my father were married and were together. My father was trying to create a, a home. He did create a home for us. He did work at one time until he hurt his back. So as a child, a little kid, six, seven, five, I remember having my mother and my father having a nice house, having a nice yard where we can go and play. He made sure that we had that until him and my mother divorced, uh, separated, excuse me, they never divorced. He never would divorce my mother. They had seven kids and he always made a vow that he would never divorce my mother. They just separated legally. But coming up when I was six, seven, I had a pretty good childhood. My father would take us on camping trips and things like that. Things didn't change until my mother and my father separated and I chose to live with my mother and so I didn't get the attention that I needed as a child. And I didn't want that for you guys. Do you think it's safe to say, like, nobody really got the attention that they needed? Because, the, I mean, if six or seven of y'all don't graduate from high school. Well, I, one thing about my dad, like, he, he, he stressed education to us. He wanted all of us to graduate. And once again, I mean, that was something that he spoke about always, us going to school and getting our education. And so I know when none of us did graduate that that probably broke his heart. Out of seven kids, 
nobody can get a earn a diploma or get a diploma. So once again, I wanted or to change didn't. that. It's not that you or didn't, didn't. Or didn't, but I wanted to change that. I wanted my father to be proud of me because I was a daddy's girl. And I wanted to make him proud. Hmm. My family was like the same way though, okay? I was like the last person to get a, a diploma in years to walk across and graduate. Well, I got a diploma. <laughs> yes, you did, my, my Keisha. I was, that was not about to happen. Listen, when I started messing up in senior year, and my mom, I believe, went to California and was sitting at Auntie House, and um, we ain't going to say their name, but one of our, one, your niece came. She came in the house, and she was like, oh, you're getting ready to graduate. And my mom was like, oh, no, she not. The way she fucking up in school. like, she, And, and I, didn't, I didn't want that to be... You know, like, oh, shit, like, that was like a light bulb. Like, because my mom didn't hold back nothing. Like, she's still, she the big shit talker uh, queen, okay? She birthed the big shit talker. So she's, she says her mind. She speaks her mind. But she said that, and that kind of just, like, a light bulb went off. Like, yeah, girl, if you keep on doing what you're doing, not caring about school, because I was just bored. I went to school, but I was just over it. You're not going to graduate. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to live that down with her. So let me get my act together and walk across the stage and get Thank this you. diploma because she ain't having that shit. And then she ain't going to be talking shit about me. <laughs> that's, so like, that, that's crazy. Like, I, I, never, I, ne I, I never had an issue with school. I had, my, my junior year, I had one issue because I left uh, Arkansas and, and, like, snuck back out here to Vegas. And I couldn't register myself in school. So I was out of school for, like, four weeks. <laughs> but when I got back to Arkansas, you know what I'm saying, I was good. But, um, like, I like the school, but in my family, like, in my immediate family, you know what I'm saying, I had, you know, cousins, you know, over here and cousins over there. But in my immediate group of family, I was the last person to graduate in 2004 since, like, the 80s. Wow. Yeah, because, like, my, my two oldest cousins that was in my immediate group, um, my cousin Stephanie, she stabbed somebody, like, her uh, junior year in high school, so she got expelled and then let her finish. And then my other cousin went to prison. And then all the rest of them went to prison. Yeah. Not only did I not want to disappoint my parents, like, I just didn't want that on me. Like, you wouldn't be able to, then you wouldn't, you know, the energy was like, you're not going to be able to get a job without a diploma. Like, of course, you can't go to college without a diploma, which is, that's not the case. But, um, and then my mom bitched a lot. Like, you. <laughs> I really did. I she really did. did. And I, knew, I, I didn't want to did. hear her you still mouth. Do. Like, and, it was, <laughs> and it's not this voice that y'all experienced. And it was like, you better get that motherfucking shit. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely get, a different voice. Getting cussed <laughs> out. And I was not trying to get cussed out. So I think that, that you know, that's was our next question, like, what was your fear? I think one of your fears, if I had to say so, was just your kids not getting the education because you've seen what it did to the people around you, you know? Right, right. But with that being said and with you guys telling me the way I was back then, it makes me think back and it makes me, you know, see where I... I was scared I, of her, y'all. Where I, <laughs> I wasn't compassionate enough or didn't really take time to listen, sit down and listen to you got to my girls. And that's what, that's what I think about now that, you know, and like I said, there's no book on great parenting no, and there's no perfect parent, but we all make mistakes and we can look back and, and like tonight we can laugh about those mistakes, but 
and we've talked about this before, so it has, it has really opened my eyes about the way I did parent sometimes, but... I, I was scared. I, I was really... my Up until, like, high school, where, you, where I was the last one left in the house, and you kind of got a little bit, you know, cool. I was able to talk to you about, like, you know, different boyfriends or whatever the case was that I had. And I was terrified. <laughs> like, I'm laughing, but I was terrified. Like, I knew that the dishes had to be washed. I knew the house better be clean. I knew it wasn't no... I knew that rolling my eyes was will get you slapped. I knew that it was like you was no nonsense. You wasn't fucking around with us, and I appreciate that. Like I really do. Like I'm not hold. I'm never gonna hold that against you, but you ain't play that. You know when you say those things about me, Mimi, half of them I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> she was faking the phone, man. I'm serious. But one thing about it, when you did graduate. I was lit after the fact. Yeah, you were. Because I was like, this is the last of the Mohicans. I got her through this. That's my baby. She graduated. Yes, I was lit after that. And I was so happy. Yes. <laughs> and so I was just a proud mother to see my daughter walk down. Walk across the stage. Walk across the, style, the stage, excuse me, and get and her And I got a diploma. A lot of niggas out here got a certificate of attendance just for going to school because they didn't pass their proficiencies back then. But I got a diploma. So. <laughs> so what was like your biggest fear? Like here you are, 25, three girls. You are still with my dad. You know, their dad it was, you know, was not in the picture. Was married previously. Like what was your fear? Like did you fear anything? Like were you afraid of like, like, was there ever a moment was like, I don't know. Like, to, to be honest with you, Mimi, I don't remember me ever having that feeling. I mean, I was just steadfast on what I was going to do, what I wanted to do with myself. But for as parenting, I could have did things differently, but I never had any fears. And I always, I always just always wanted the best for, for my girls. But I never, I don't remember or recall me having any fears. Yes, people do have fears, but with you asking me, so you I don't were just recall. like Rocky, like I got this shit. Like kids need clothes, I got it. Yeah. Food out of me cook, I got it. You need money for school, I got it. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I stayed on welfare for about ten years. Shout out to because, welfare because and that Section was Eight the, housing. That's Listen, Section Eight had us living in a house. I knew what it felt like to live in a house. We wasn't no shade to anybody, but we wasn't no apartment kids. You know, apartment kids is a different breed of kids. We lived in a neighborhood. We lived in a house. So I, I'm appreciative of the resources that were there to to put us in a better position. You know, growing up. But you know, during that time when I was getting welfare, the system was designed to keep young women on welfare until the system started. Fading or playing out, like playing out, <laughs> and then there was time. That was the time that you needed to go back to school, which I had went back to school before then. But welfare was the way. I mean, it paid the bills, it paid the rent, and at that time, the system was designed, I think, to keep young women on welfare until it started playing out. But when did you realize, like, okay, this this is not working no more? Like, 
just getting a check from the county, this ain't working. Like when when did that was there a moment? Was it several moments? Like when when did that something. light bulb go off? Welfare was the first war against the well not the first war, but it was a war against the black man. Welfare came in to kick the black man out because they weren't giving the black man jobs. So if the man wasn't smart enough to create his jobs or go get him three or four jobs, then he was damn assed out until he figured it out. And uh, the welfare came in to feel like, okay, I'm going to give you some support, but it was half-ass support. You know, but we appreciate it. What does that have to do with the black man, though? Because it, the, the woman feel like she don't need her no more. I got welfare now. How you depend my I don't know if you can attest to this you, you didn't just depend on welfare like you always had a hustle like my daddy always had a hustle not or gay, but there's people job. worse than gay I mean at one time I did depend on welfare but then again your father was there and I knew that he was going out to do whatever he needed to do to bring extra money in the house no, but okay. Now, now, just being real. I want you to be real as, as real as shit right now, okay? <laughs> I right. am being real. Okay, look, Kay. Now, was there ever a moment back then, Kay, where you ever felt like, you know what, man? Fuck a nigga. I don't need no nigga. I, I got this shit because you did have that extra, you know, little support coming in for welfare. But I've always been independent. Of course. I've, I've never just, felt just like... Just on the back end, okay? Just like... I'm not even saying you're independent. You I'm, I'm saying, okay, because you, you bossed up. You're just being smart. You're going to use all your resources. Why, why, why am I going to leave some shit on the table if it's out there? I'm going to go get it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm not saying that. You're still being independent. But that extra leg... Well, you know, it helped me be like, man, fuck that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Shit. I, probably, I, I was probably a witness to some of those arguments. <laughs> Right. Get but your ass out. <laughs> I always I always been a strong woman, so I never felt like I needed to solely depend on a man because I had my own house, I had my own car, I had my own money. You know, if he brought something to the table, you know, that was good because it's always good to have a little extra. Can I say I wanna say this, Kay, cause I, I don't I don't want no listener uh, or you Kay or nobody think that I ever think a woman depend on a man. Because my whole thought process is a relationship is when two people come together, they depend on each other to make each other better and make the whole thing better anyway. So I, I was never saying that you would depend on a man, okay? I'm just saying you don't have to worry about that extra support. You know what I'm saying? Because you got some shit, you know what I'm saying, coming in. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what I'm saying, okay? Right, you, you don't need no motherfucker. You know what no, I'm saying? I, but, go ahead. But that's what I'm saying, Kat. Right, I got you. Yeah, but I was always a very independent woman, and that's the way my mindset was. It wasn't that I don't need no man. I was taught I mean, that it was the yeah, fact exactly. That it it was the fact that that was the way my mind was programmed. Because when I had my my girls, even though Mimi's dad was there, it was like I'm still holding this down. I'm still the mama. I'm still the daddy. To I feel like the daddy to a certain degree. The I disciplinary, have to, I have for to, sure. I have to protect my girls. I sometimes feel like your big brother. I'm like, okay, you mess with Not my girls, brother. you got to mess with me. <laughs> so it was a lot going on, but by the same time, yeah, Mimi's dad was there, but he was there in, in, in certain ways, different ways, different ways, but I've always felt like I had to be the one to protect my girls, even though her father was there. So didn't you, correct me if I'm wrong, Ma, did you sell crack at one point? I sold crack and I smoked crack too. <laughs> <laughs> and I but, thank God that he's delivered me okay. 
40 something years clean now. And God is good because back then everybody and their mama was on crack. Crack kill Applejack. And it wasn't crack at that time when I was smoking. I'm like, Whitney, I smoke cocaine. Okay, mama. And I'm not trying to glorify that. But what happened, the government put cocaine here for the black people to, I feel, to destroy the population. The black community. But the black community, but overall, everybody was so dipping seen, and dabbing. Like, you seen, like, snowfall. Like, you seen when it first hit, you know, people was making money, like, it was good, and then, boom, the violence. Bodies dropping. Niggas is ODing. Like, you know, like, uh, what's that movie? New Jack City taking over apartments. Yeah, like, you witnessed all of that. What year was that? 1986, 87. So. 88. Okay, so I was born in 88, so. <laughs> right, but this was before you were even born. 19, I wouldn't say 1986. Yes, I so can remember. So it was remember. going down. It was going down, but I'm like this. I, 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 God delivered me, and I never smoked crack. When they came out with crack, I knew it was time for me to stop because people were falling dead. And I thank the Lord that I had a praying auntie that was like my mother that prayed for me. I prayed for me, and, and I got delivered. But, yes, it was an epidemic. And, I, and, and once again, I, I feel like even today my story is that the government put it here to destroy Of course. Destroy I mean, us. that's a proven fact. And the, at the, the end of the CIA. day, it was white-collar judges, lawyers, <laughs> doctors, Everyone yep. smoking cocaine or snorting cocaine. cocaine. It wasn't just the black population. It, it took over, and it was definitely an epidemic at that time. And I'm like I said, everybody, their mama and their daddy, was using cocaine in some type of so way. So when it hit, it hit. You said in like '86. Yes. So it hit San Bernardino in '86, and you had two kids. I had two kids. Two girls. That's like, right. What What was that like? Like. For you to, for you to already be a mother, you didn't really do any hard. Did, come on, ma, you didn't really do no hard drugs before that, and then here come this crack or cocaine that hit the neighborhood. Like, what went through your mind? Like, okay, I got these kids, but Ooh. I'm getting high. Well, at that time, I lived in an apartment complex called the Meadowbrooks. Actually, it was three stories high. It kind of reminded me a lot of the movie New Jack City. But during that time, it was like everybody in the complex was either selling cocaine or either smoking cocaine. Or both. So or easy. Both. So like they so, were having crack parties and right. you just fall like, in there okay, like, what's that? Eventually, I fell into that because you know what? I thought it was free. I got, you know, at that time you they get, was giving it to you. It was free. You get, free. You get your ass hooked. At the end of the day, nothing's free because you're gonna have to pay for that one way yeah. or the other. Yeah. And so it was free. You sold a box for crack before, mom? You sold your box for crack? Yo, vagina. Oh no. The first time I smoked weed, it was oh, no. free. I had a lot of um, free. Crack, uh, it wasn't crack. Like I said, I didn't smoke crack, but cocaine didn't have me to where I wanted to sell my food stamps. Or sell your I kids. wanted to sell my body. I had a car. I had a furnished apartment. I had, you know, everything that I needed. It was just the, the fact that the drug was there. And like I said, I thought it was free because people were giving it to me. But at the end of the day, nothing is free. You're going to have to pay for something some way, somehow, or sometime. Yeah. So That's what was the breaking point for you to 
for like, you to. I'm, I'm, that's yeah. the cut in right there. Because, like, that, that happened to somebody I know. You know what I'm saying? Where a man pretty much gave her crack to pretty much control her. Like, who the fuck want, want a crackhead for their woman? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a weak-ass man. That shit crazy. Period. That shit crazy. So, what was the breaking point, Mom? Like, what was what was it like that made you, I can't do this no more? My breaking point was when, when Auntie, my aunt, your great aunt, told me that if I didn't get my life together, and I just talked about this the other day with my sister-in-law, we were sitting back reminiscing, and she told me if I didn't get my life together, she was going to take all three of my kids. And that was definitely a wake-up call for me because I know that I couldn't bear the fact of losing my kids. And she was always praying for me, and she would tell me to sit down and read the Bible. And I know it was her prayers and me sitting there reading Well, you was doing something. You wasn't just a, you was functioning, but you was demonstrating something for Auntie to say, I will take your kids if you don't stop oh, with I this was, behavior. I was a mess. I mean, I held it together. I had my house, my apartment, a car. But I mean, looking at myself, I had skinny. I was skinny. I lost weight. Man. I looked bad, you know, and she knew that wasn't the type of person that I was because she raised me at the age of 13 and it took over me. It took over everybody. But at the same time, my breaking point was when she told me if I didn't get my life together that she would take all three of my kids and you would never get them back. Man. And that was my breaking point. And that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to straighten my life out and I'm going to get off this. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And there was times when I got high and I would turn around and I would cry and I would pray. And that's how you know you know better. And that's when I knew, and eventually, and I, I, I would get on my knees and pray, and I asked God to deliver me. And I'll tell you one thing. I'm a witness as to what God will do. I didn't have to go to no rehab. I didn't have to go to the hospital where I seen people going to rehab and going to hospitals to get off of it. Mm -hmm. It was God's grace and the prayers God's that I had grace. coming um, from my aunt, which was like my mother, and me starting to pray for myself that he delivered me from that drug. And I, I am a witness today that with his prayers, that's how I got delivered and got off of cocaine. Like I said, I didn't smoke crack. And I thank the Lord for that because by the time crack, everybody, some people call cocaine crack, crack cocaine. But no, but I, when, you're, when you're using dope and you, you like good dope because you had good dope, you know the difference. So it's like so it's yeah. like it's like babbage weed or like dispensary weed. What, what, but once again, let no, me that's say, not it. That's not say, no. Crackers, cocaine. cocaine. Let me tell you, this I'm this what it is. Okay, it we'll say this then. Crack came from cocaine because that's where you know. Let, it's, let me it's, tell you it's, one it's thing. My, 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 my definition about crack, and let me say this, and if you never experienced, you don't know. Cocaine, and I don't want to get on this conversation about drugs because, but it, if, if we're going to talk it's about it, let's, let's be real. But crack was was what people were taking and mixing anything and everything. Yeah, baking soda. To baking make soda. a, a, a so-called uh, drug. drug. Cocaine right. was Baby mixed formula. with straight baking soda. They watered it down. That's what so they did. You know they were cutting it. They valued it. They, they devalued they, they it. They kept you cutting it. You knew when yeah. you got cocaine and you knew when the crack hit the scene. Crack was killing people. When they take a hit, it would hit their heart and just kill them. I never they seen was cutting it with cocaine rat poison and that's, do that. That's when they wanted to shut the shit down. So 
that's why I say there's definitely a difference between crack and cocaine. But I was, I remember, I don't know what you was doing at this time, but I remember being in elementary school and like, we lived in Rialto, which is kind of, it's bad parts of Rialto, California, but we lived in like a suburban kind of area. But we would go to the city, which would be like the west side of San Bernardino, like after school or whatever. And it would be me and my sisters sitting in the car and my mom would be in the house. I getting high, I, I assume. But my mom had us with her. She was so fucking gangster with it. Gangster. We would be sitting in the car, and I'm the youngest of two, youngest amongst my sisters. So they would be like, Mimi, go go in the house and go get mama, because we'll be in the car for hours. But you guys didn't want to get out and go play. We didn't want to play with them little ratchet-ass kids. With the rest of the kids. So you, were in a safe, would, you were in a safe environment. They, and would, now. they would try to get me to go upstairs or go into the house and knock on the door Mama, in, a room, in a room full of people getting high um, to, tell her to, come, to tell her to come on. But do y'all understand why my mom would keep us out hours, like sometimes 12, 1 in the morning. We 3 o'clock in the morning, but you was with me. But we would still have to wake up and go to school. Like, <laughs> she was... <laughs> there was no, like, you <laughs> staying stay home the house. because I had you out. No, you gonna wake your ass up and you going to school. Well, a lot Tired of, and all. <laughs> I ain't going to school. When, uh, and most of the time when you guys were out and we, with me, you were at a family member's house where I know... the that, car. Where, no, <laughs> where I know that you were in the house sleeping and laying down, supposed to be laying down, No, we weren't making sleep. a pallet. We got, we got beds at the crib. We making a pallet for it. <laughs> I'm talking about when, we, when I was out over to Cousin Sharon's house. No, it was a pallet, a pallet situation. Well, you should have been asleep so you can get up and go to school. I'm talking the next about when day. we was in Delman Heights and at Gwen House. Like, we would be sitting in the I car. Didn't, I didn't never keep y'all there that late like that, Mimi. Not no 12, 1, 2 o'clock. No, no, no. That is not true. Okay. I know that for sure because okay. that area was not safe. So, there's no way that I'm going to keep y'all in the car 9 to 10 o'clock. It probably at be night. wasn't that long, but we would be sitting in the car at the school. Not 9 to 10 o'clock <laughs> at night. True. No. That didn't happen, but you could have got out. Somebody adding tens to the store now. <laughs> didn't want to get out. I'm not uh, glorifying 10. nothing. God saved 10, me, delivered 20s. me, and I'm so happy about it. And I couldn't, I couldn't imagine, you know. So what? what so what is the? What is some of the biggest? Um, what have your daughters taught you about yourself? Like, what did you learn about yourself when you became a mom? Well, right now, the way when we talk and you guys tell me things, just like you said, the way I was you know, cussing and this and that. And I, I wish that, you know, well, I don't wish. I look at look at what you guys tell me. And I say, yeah, I could have been more compassionate. I could have sat down and talked to you more instead of yelling and and screaming at you guys. And and that's what, when you guys tell, we, we talk now and you tell me that, yeah, I can see it, but, by, but, but, but at the same time, all I wanted was to do was for you guys to have the best, for me to protect you, keep you safe, you know, even though I did certain things, but I know you were safe with me, you know. And, and by the same time, you know, I just want to say that, um, something I want to say, that when I came up, you know, I didn't get hugs. And I had to sit down and, and listen to you guys now that I've gotten older. And then I can see why think why I did some of the things I did when you guys coming up. you didn't receive that. Because I didn't receive the hugs and the kisses and... The I love, love. and my father wasn't um, 
compassionate man, but I knew he loved all of us. Affectionate. He wasn't affection, affectionate, but I knew he loved all of us. I was like, you know, I would go to my daddy, give me a kid, oh, I'll get back, Skeena. Move, he pushed me away, but I know he loved me, you know. Mm. And so now that I talk to you guys, that you, now that you guys got grown and, you know, and we can sit down and talk sometimes without it being a heated argument, especially <laughs> between me and the other ones. The other ones. <laughs> but um, I'm good. Leave it had, over here. <laughs> I had to, you know, listen to you guys now and see that maybe why, you know, I did the things that I did because. I didn't receive it as a kid, and 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 and, it, and history does repeat itself if you don't wake up and uh, recognize the generational or curses. well or, or recognize. You know, it wasn't like a curse; it was just the fact. I think that it is. I, I think knew, when you when you don't know how to show people you love them and tell people, I think that that creates a curse. That creates that hardness. I, even going, growing, you know, be, becoming an adult and a young woman and being married young and going into my marriage, like, I had to bring some of that shit down a little bit because my husband would tell me, like, why are you so hard? Like, right. why are you? And I would find myself, like, repeating what I saw, repeating how you and my dad would argue and, you know, trying to get into, like, the name calling, like, that's the things that I had to, like, stop and, like, nip in the bud. Like, you can't do that. Like, that that didn't work then, and it's not going to work now. And you have a man that is affectionate and wants to show you love. You got to be able to receive that and reciprocate that. So being, I just have to become aware of what I was doing and what I was perpetuating within my marriage and stop right. doing that. That's, so I, that's I think good that you recognize that because... You know, even though me and your daddy, we not, we were not in an abusive relationship. No, no. You know, we had a lot of good years, and when it did get to the point where it became abuse, it was like, let's just go our separate ways mm. because evidently the love is gone. You know, and the thrill is gone. The thrill is gone. So, uh, you know, because when you love somebody, you don't want to hurt them. You don't call the person that you love bitches. Mm. You know, that's not love, and I don't. Ever or, want that kind of love and or bitch ass niggas, right? Or bitch ass niggas. So when you <laughs> when you get to that point, then you know you know at that time when you get to that point, the respect is gone, yeah. the love is gone, and 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 if you can't overcome that and resolve it, then it's time to for me, go. it's it's time to go separate ways. And so that's what happened with me and your father. But begin, beginning back to my my childhood, no, I didn't have the uh, affection that I needed, and so I really. Now, when, from talking to you and Tone and Shania, I didn't show you guys that a lot either. But now that probably was a generational curse. But, you know, the conversations that we have now has really made me look back and see that. Mm -hmm. And I can't change it. You know, all we can do is try to get past it. You know, you got to be better. And, and yes. And so, I mean, I... I I look at and I really listen now to when you guys talk to me and say the things that you say, say and when you reminisce back down your childhood, you know. I think when you started to go, when you did start to go to school, to college for like child development, I think that's when the changes started to happen, when you started to realize like, oh, like this is psychological, like you can oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like, And you're exactly right. That did, that taught me a lot. I'm like, it taught me about parenting mm. and 
there's really no book on parenting, but me going to college and taking child development, it taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. It taught me a lot about kids and things you shouldn't do, or the way you should try to do things, or mm -hmm. redirect uh, mm -hmm. if something is not right, and mm -hmm. you can redirect your child to change whatever's wrong. Mm -hmm. It did. It, it taught me a lot, and you hit that right on the on the nose, you, you know, the head, the nail on the head, because that was my mm, turning point. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, I remember mm -hmm. that. I remember that you started to be a little bit more patient. You know, talk a little bit more, be more communicative to with us, and you know, listen. And then church. You know, I think when, yeah, when we got into church, church in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, when when we got into church, I think that kind of you know opened opened us up to something different and being seeing other kids and you know maybe how they are with their parents and you know and yeah, but but being a young mother at twenty five, yeah, I didn't know everything, and I had to grow into learning things even if it took me a while but because there's no book on parenting like I said but as you grow for me as I was growing I wanted to try I think to it was be the survival. best try I to think, be a good mother I you think know? It, when you had kids when we were young when you just you know had us and we were young you're trying to figure it out you're 25 you're 23 24 25 trying to figure it out I think it was like oh, I gotta survive with these kids like so being affectionate like you know Really telling, didn't have time. yeah, it had time for it. I gotta make a way for me and mine. What's up? Right, <laughs> especially when I didn't see it coming up as a kid. So, like I said, now that's Auntie probably. Auntie wasn't affectionate. She was. Auntie was a talker. She would sit down. Mm. She was very uh, patient. Mm. One thing about Auntie, she was patient, and she would sit down and talk. Mm. She wasn't, you know, the type that wanted to grab a switch or go. You know, she she wanted to talk to you and and get through and, to you. Yeah, and that's what I loved about her. And she raised me from the age of thirteen, and she taught me a lot. And she she became my mother. And so, um, you know, like you said, there was a lot of things that. So where did Adi like come in at? Like where your mom come in at? Well, like I moved with, with my aunt at the age of 13, so when I wanted to have the, a little, uh, relationship, relationship, uh, or, uh, some type of affection, because my mother was young and, and, and busy, seven so, kids. right, so she didn't really have time to sit up and nurture me, or either tell me about womanhood, or anything like that, and I think, I made that mistake with you guys because I can remember me not really sitting down and talking to you directly and just letting you know, which I did talk to you guys about. I remember conversations. I remember you sitting us all down multiple times and saying, I'm the youngest. Don't give your draws up. Boys only want your draws. And I'm like five listening to this conversation, not really understanding what's, what's being said, but I took it in. And I appreciated that you didn't, you didn't keep me out of the conversation. Like I felt included, you know, even though I don't really understand, but the fact that my mom is sitting all of us down to talk to us and tell us something, I value that. Well, I, like I told me and we had this conversation the other day and I think I mentioned to Tone or somebody, I'm like, I used to tell you guys, be fly girls, go to work, get a job, get mm. a good car, you know, be fly. Don't get out here getting pregnant, having babies, 
I remember telling you guys yeah. that, you know, back in the day, they used to call it a fly girl. So I'm like, just be fly. Go to work. Get a good job. Get mm. your nails done. Get your hair. Do you remember me telling you I that remember. stuff? I'm like, just be fly. Don't get yeah. caught up. You know, don't get pregnant. Just be fly, you yeah. know. And so I remember telling you guys that a lot because I didn't want you to have babies young and repeat what you did repeat what I did mm -hmm. and so I, I can and I do remember encouraging you guys to you know make sure that you get your education and you know like the word for me was be fly so I used that word back then because that was the word but at the same time you know um, I think that well they say in the Bible everything is written and so regardless of what I said or whatever God still has mm -hmm. a plan for everybody yeah, yeah, he and does. So, well, Ray's trying to bring, Keyshawn's trying to bring his mom on. I guess he wants to include Miss Clara in the conversation. <laughs> you can hear me. What's up, Clara? Hey, uh, daughter-in-law, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? We, we, I'm okay, baby. You live on air, mom, and, and we got my mother-in-law over here, too. Hi, Clara. She can hear you. Hey, honey. My name is Kim. Nice to meet you over the phone. <laughs> over the phone and live on Ghetto and, and Godly. And live okay. in Ghetto and Godly. <laughs> That's crazy. So, Claire, Claire, we talking about a black mother's love. She heard that? That's what I'm talking about, girls. So, what is something that you want to share about being a black mom, a young black mom, to to my handsome? Oh, honey, black is beautiful, baby. That's, that's the only way I can share it is by being a black mom. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. I love my sisters. You feel me? Yes. Yes, indeed. I love my son. And I love you too, Mimi. I love you. He loves you too. He, your son, it, he really, he really, really loves you. And I, I appreciate that about him. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he is. My baby's a gorgeous man. You feel me? You tell me, Mom. You know, I'm just keeping it real. I mean, just my baby. I want my baby to do something strong. But my baby was still strong, and he still loved his mother regardless. Yeah, Mom, what kind of struggles did we go through, Mom? No, he went through some struggles behind me. Man, what kind, Mom? I mean, shit, I did. What shit, Mom? I don't want to talk. Why you want to be specific, mama? It's, it's, mama, it, uh, we, got it, we got it on air, mama, so people can see what we went through, mama. <laughs> you 
right. You right. I, I just. I can't wait till curly day, but you were the only Of course, mama. I know you did. <laughs> you so much. You, you know that's all I mean, and I love you, baby. I promise. I mean, she went on the river, I mean, it wasn't that you couldn't get from me because I was doing, I was being a good mama. Yeah. You know? Shit happens. Yeah. Man. You right. You right. It was a victim of circumstance. You did. You turned around, mama. You're doing good. I'm proud of you. Victim of circumstance, Miss Claire, and that's what we was kind of talking about on the show earlier with my mom. We were talking about the circumstances of drugs and, you know, when they hit the neighborhood, the community, and how, you know, it was it was hard to to sustain from, you know, conforming to what everybody else was doing. So, you know, we were, even though we were on opposite sides of the, the, the United States, like we were kind of, me and Kishan were kind of going through the similar situations because our moms was in the struggle, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Mama, you've been locked up, huh? Tell you've been behind them balls. You've been behind the real ball, not no jail. <laughs> the real ball. Well, I like to say this to you, Miss Clara. Is it Clara? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Mimi's mom. Yes, and I like to say this to you that whatever the struggle was and whatever you went through, and Ken Sean as a child or whatever, but he is an amazing young man. And I could not have asked for a better son in law. And I want you to know that. You know, and he, he is amazing. He's, he's, he's been raised the right way, he's respectful. You know, I just love Kenshawn to death. I never see him really get mad. He got mad at me once. <laughs> but he is amazing to me. And I, I love him dearly. Yes, Thank you, you know, I give all my props to my mother. You hear me? Yes. But I was there, but I wasn't there. But my mother did a good job. Yes, she did. Yes, and, and yes, that's what matters, that he had somebody there for him, and it happened to be your mother, and she did an amazing job yes, raising him. Did. She did. And yeah. he, he does have I this. appreciate you because I do got a gorgeous son. Yes, and, and, and he does have this old soul, and when I first met him like 10 years ago, and he would play be playing these old songs for me, talking about, Miss Kim, you know this? I said, I don't know that song. <laughs> But because he had an old soul, and he was bringing music to me that I never even heard. Yes, ma'am. But, Miss Ma'am, let me tell you this here. When, I, when, when we were staying in El Dorado, my son was so depressed because my husband did not like him. And so my son was like, okay, I'm going back to Grandma. You feel me? My baby used to turn on that country music. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a country guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Damn, Holy Country crazy. boy. <laughs> but but believe it or not, I like country music too. I do. I do some country music like Reba McIntyre. Uh, they just had uh, the Loretta Lynn story on. And I mean, I watch it because I like country music. Some country music I like. I can't believe you remember that moment. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, y'all, we're going to get ready to, to wrap up the conversation. But first, I want to ask, well, not first, but lastly, I want to ask one more question. What has being a mother taught you about love? Well, being a mother, one thing, your love is supposed to be unconditionally. Whatever your child does or go through, it should never stop you from loving your child. That's what I've always known. But the older now that... You, now that you guys have gotten older and we can really talk, especially me and you, Mimi, we can relate. And you, you know, you opened up my eyes about a lot of things Tone and Shania has too, you know. And, but one thing I can just say about a mother's love is that it's unconditionally, unconditionally. And with my love, it's like I always wanted to protect you guys and make sure that you were never hurt, abused, misused. And that was my ultimate goal was to make sure that you were safe and never had to endure some of the things that I endured as a child. And that my ultimate goal was to keep you protected from any harm, from anything that would harm you, anybody that would harm you. And that was my ultimate goal, but that's because I love you so much. And like I said, a mother's love is unconditionally. Whatever you do, you never stop loving your child. You want to teach them better. But my, my ultimate goal was to really protect you guys, n love you. I didn't nurture you like I should. I know that, but there's no per perfect parent. My dad nurtured me. Yes, <laughs> that's why you a daddy's girl. But by the same time, you know, it was really to protect you, make sure that you had a proper upbringing, upbringing. you had food, you had clothes, and no one was going to hurt you. So that's what, that's what my love was. My, that was my only, um, I want to say, my ultimate goal was to make sure that you guys were safe, fed, clothed, and had the things Taking that you care needed. Of. Right. Got you. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Kay West. Well, I appreciate you having me, my Keisha. It's Auntie Mimi. Auntie Mimi. The big but shit talker. But my baby, my Keisha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ghetto and Godly. Make sure you keep the conversation going with your favorite host, Auntie Mimi. And to remember to always be good to yourself and one another. Until next time, congregation. Bye.